Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school. And that is what this podcast is designed to do. To educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only. To learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. I'm grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. Okay, welcome to the show, everybody. Actually, today is the start of a three or maybe four-part series on female metabolism. And you may be wondering, Jade, why are you doing all this on female metabolism? Well, I am launching what I believe is the first ever female-specific fat loss certification called the Metabolic Female for Professionals. This course is a course that takes you through everything I have done in the realm of metabolism plus all the latest and greatest information on the female metabolism in particular. Now, I want to address this question first about why would I do a certification on specifically women and their metabolism? Aren't they the same as men? Isn't it just the same? Shouldn't women just train like men and men train like women and eat the same and take the same supplements. I mean, isn't metabolism just the same for men and women? How, what could be different? This is oftentimes the thought. Now, if you're a woman listening to me say this, your probably mouth just fell open, right? Because you know, you know, since the time you've hit puberty, that obviously your hormones are impacting your metabolism. Not just a little bit, but a lot. The female hormone system is in a fluctuating rhythmic system that changes day to day throughout the month. And each woman's menstrual cycle is kind of like a fingerprint. And so it is different. But there are some general trends. And they are light years different than what happens to a man. Now, here's the thing. I want to address this right off the bat. Can women train just like men and get results? Absolutely. Women do not have to eat and train and do anything differently. Let's talk about a couple other myths floating around in the blogosphere and nutrition world and medicine world. Things like women should never fast because it damages their metabolism. This is not true. Things like women shouldn't go low carb because it damages their metabolism. Not true. Women should never go below 1,200 calories because it damages their metabolism. This also isn't true. So we're seeing this very weird thing going on right now in the space of female metabolism. We have one side of the individual saying it doesn't matter. Women and men should train the same. And of course they can, that doesn't mean they should, which we'll talk about. And then on the other side, you have all this rhetoric about women shouldn't do X and women shouldn't do Y and women shouldn't do Z. 
Well, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I can't stand black and whites like this. And not just because I don't like black and white. It's because it never works black and white. As soon as you really dig into the depth of the research, which I love to do, you always see that it is gray. The truth is somewhere in the middle. And by the way, let me give you a heads up just real quick. I just got a puppy. So um, they there's a puppy perhaps that you'll hear in the background. And I'm going through all the hardships and amazingness of having a puppy. I'm madly in love and I'm also ready to pull my hair out if I had any hair. But just so you know, I've got a puppy in the background. So if you hear like any rustling or whimpering or anything like that, that's my little puppy, Stoey. She's a Pomsky. My ex-wife, Jill, who's still one of my closest friends, has a Pomsky named Pip, at Pip the Pomsky on Instagram. I will not be getting my dog in Instagram, but I fell so in love with Pip that I needed one of my own, and now I have Stoey the Pomsky. But anyway, you may hear her in the background. Here's, here's the thing. Gray is how almost everything works. The more you learn about something, the more you learn you don't know. And when it comes to female metabolism, there are many, 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 many people that don't know. They still think very wrongly that women can't benefit from using their own approach based on their hormones, estrogen and progesterone, and the circulation of these or the cycling of these two hormones. And that's sad to me because I have... Um, well, I'll tell you something, and I don't want to sound, you know, I don't know, ever know how this sounds. You guys ever have trouble, like, you know, saying things good about yourself because you, you're afraid it's going to sound like bragging? I kind of feel like that. But this is important to understand. I want you to know that I developed with my publishers over at Natural Health Sherpa and now Metabolic Living the first female-specific workout program and diet system that was a workout and a book a couple years back. Do you know that far and away that program called Metabolic Renewal is the best seller that I have ever put out? And we have now sold over a million copies of this workout system and this dietary system geared mainly towards women that you'll find in Metabolic Renewal, Metabolic Aftershock, and Metabolic Prime. It is far and away the most popular thing I have ever done. Now, why is this important? It's important because despite what we think, things don't become that popular if they don't work, right? They just don't. They fizzle out. They might have a little bit of a newness factor at first, but you don't keep selling to the level of millions of copies when something doesn't work. This thing works and it works amazing for women. This is what we cover in the Metabolic Female Professional Certification. But it also says something else. In a population that has struggled mightily, something is finally working. And I'll say this, we need in this world, in the health and fitness world, we need professionals desperately who understand not just metabolism, because people don't even understand metabolism the way it should, but specifically female metabolism. And think about this for a minute. If you are a professional, there are two things here, right, for, for being a professional. There are two ways to become fantastic and set yourself apart from everyone else. One is to become the singular best thing in that field, which is extremely hard to do. That's the first approach you could take. The second approach you could take would be to become very, very good at two difficult things. Well, that's what this 
talk, this podcast, and the series of podcasts to come, and the certification do. What they do is they help you understand metabolism better than anyone ever has or does. You're going to be one of the tops because people just don't understand this. Even, yes, doctors and trainers and nurse practitioners and all the professionals, they just are using very old science when it comes to metabolism. So you will, having this certification, be better served because you will be an expert in metabolism, the new science of metabolism, the stuff that no one knows. Now, can you be the best? Probably not. I wouldn't even say I'm the best at it. And I've been studying it pretty much my whole life, it feels like. But then you add on top of that an expertise in female endocrinology and the study of female hormones, and you become really good at that. Maybe not the best, but really good at that. And now you have a combination of someone who understands metabolism and female hormones better than almost anyone. This sets you apart and allows you to start getting results just like Metabolic Renewal, that program that is just killing it for me over the last several years and is just continuing to grow and grow and grow as the word gets out. Now, if you are someone listening to this podcast and you're just you know, a lay person and a serious fitness enthusiast, you know, this podcast, I have all kinds of professionals and serious fitness enthusiasts. Most people who listen to my podcast are serious self-development buffs and physiology and biochemistry and hormone fat loss buffs. That's who's on this this podcast. If you're one of those people, you might be saying, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to get way too complicated for me. I want you to know that I am actually opening up this certification, this metabolic female professional certification to everyone. And the reason I am is because I find it absolutely critical that we get the word out here. It is critical that we have as many professionals and people teaching this to their patients, but also to their friends. I want people having this certification and out there working as group exercise instructors, personal trainers, nutritionists, and just general coaches to their friends to get the word out to help women start getting results. Because it is an abysmal situation that's going on out there right now. And I want to tell you something that I thought was absolutely um, crazy. Uh, I've been studying the female hormone system probably since the early 2000s after I kind of got put in my place by a a female client of mine at the time who basically just went off on me and called me an ignorant, arrogant, you know, she didn't use that language, but it's pretty much what she said. You know, you're an ignorant, arrogant young man. You don't know anything about me. Uh, You know, you're treating me like I'm some 20 year old bodybuilder and I'm, you know, a perimenopausal woman. You're a clown, basically. And that kind of woke me up. And I had a couple other situations, including helping my mom through menopause and figuring things out that really sort of woke me up to this. And one of the things that I find appalling now as I look back is, do you know that back when I first started learning about all this stuff, I had to dig in the most obscure places. This stuff just wasn't around. And part of the reason is that it wasn't until 2001 that many of the regulating bodies that look at the existing body of research and how research is done and who's being included as research subjects came out and started to say, listen, we have a problem. Women are drastically underrepresented as uh, subjects in the research. In fact, we are using college-age males to extrapolate research on weight loss and metabolism for women. 
And they said this is a problem. Why? Because guess who shows up more at doctor's offices and more at personal trainer's offices? Guess who spends more money on health and fitness than anyone else? Women, not men, women. And all the information was geared towards women, but done on men. This is appalling. So it wasn't until 2001, that's only 20 years ago. That is, you all know, or you should know, how long it takes for us to get consensus in research. It can take 20, 30, 40 years. And it takes a great body of research being built up. We just have touched the surface in female metabolism. But we do now have 20 years of looking at this. And I've been in this field looking at this research from the beginning. Now, is it perfect? Of course not. Science is never perfect. But what I'm giving you is the state of the art as it comes to females and their metabolism and metabolism in general. Let's start this discussion as the, the as launching into this series to uh, promote the Metabolic Female Professional Certification. And by the way, if you want to check that out, it's at uh, www.drjade.com slash female cert. Drjade.com. It's drjade.com slash female cert. If you want to uh, go ahead and jump on board for the metabolic female certification. Let's start from the beginning here. I oftentimes like, and many people like, to kind of look at hunter-gatherers, and ancestral humans as a way to extrapolate what might be the best natural way for people to live. So we're going to take a look first here by, at ancestral paleo woman. Now, before I do that, I do want to make some very clear caveats here because this often gets very confused. So let's talk about paleo woman or paleo man for a minute. Paleo man had some serious, serious advantages over modern day man. They also had some serious, serious, serious disadvantages uh, from modern man. Let's talk about the disadvantages first. because I just want to get this out of the way because a lot of people don't know this. First of all, paleo man and woman would get decimated oftentimes by natural infectious agents in the environment. We're dealing with coronavirus, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2 is the actual virus. This is a novel virus. Humanity hasn't seen it before. And we've seen that even with the technology of modern medications, we've seen how many people have died. The immune system does not do well when it sees new foreign invaders. And without antibiotics and without vaccines, humans have been decimated. Now, if you are interested in this, you should go back and look at the research because one of the things that is funny for me and people who study this, if I had to choose, let's forget that COVID-19 and the SARS pandemic was here right now. But let's go back to 2019. If you asked me and you said, Jade, what do you think is the single most important invention in the history of mankind that has saved more lives than anything else? You know what I would say? I would say, well, it's got to be between antibiotics and vaccines. These two inventions have saved more humans than any other inventions. These inventions have been absolutely huge. They've basically uh, completely wiped out certain diseases. And we live today 
and we have very low infant mortality rates because of these inventions. Now, prior to these inventions, paleo man and paleo woman, sure, they had robust immune systems. Sure, they didn't suffer chronic disease. But if they ran into one of these things and got sick, they didn't have the antibiotics and the vaccines and all the heroic treatments that modern day medicine has. And so they often died of infections or injuries. And the, the uh, infant mortality rate was extremely high because kids were the ones who died. Now, those who were able to survive all these infections and injuries and starvation and being eaten by a predator lived long lives. But it was a rough, rough life. Now, here's the thing that we do know also, though. So not they definitely did not have our advantages with medicines and and all that kind of stuff. And it is absolutely, in my mind, asinine. And I'm using that phrase on purpose. Asinine to forget how powerful modern medicine has been to uh, help us humans sort of get to uh, the modern era and live healthy, long lives. At the same time, we're living much longer lives. We don't have to deal with being attacked by predators or starvation or running into a bacteria that we can't fight off or a, a novel uh, virus that takes us out. Um, but we certainly don't have the robust physical health, vital function that these people had. They do not. When we look at modern-day hunter-gatherer tribes or the anthropological and evolutionary data, we can see that these humans did not suffer the same illnesses that we suffer. We can look at their bones. They have thicker uh, skulls. Uh, they have much stronger bones. They have more healthy, wider jaws. We don't see evidence of atherosclerosis. The modern-day hunter-gatherers tend to be extremely lean, extremely fit, extremely healthy compared to modern man. Sorry to break in. I want to cover one of my sponsors, Organifi. Now, look, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, and many of you who know me well know this, but shockingly, I cannot stand vegetables. I really do not like vegetables. I have not liked them since a child. I think it has something to do with my mom who cooked everything just boiled. Boiled everything, no salt, no fat, no taste, period. And so I developed an extreme dislike for almost all vegetables. And still to this day, I have a difficult time getting in my fruits and vegetables. Well, Organifi, started by my good friend, Drew Canoli, who I've developed a relationship over the years. And I am really sort of tickled that we finally get to do this together with Organifi sponsoring the Next Level Human podcast. Drew is a Next Level Human. Organifi is a Next Level Human company. I can't say enough about them. I'm excited for them to be on board as a sponsor for the Next Level Human podcast. My favorite products, let me tell you about them. They have a ton but I use three pretty much every day. I use Organifi Gold before I go to sleep. This is their turmeric tea based on sort of the old Ayurvedic golden milk. It is absolutely fantastic. It contains lots of different relaxing herbs, turmeric, tastes wonderful. And one of the things this has done for me is I had a very bad wine habit at night. It started out as just one glass of wine. Lately, it's turned into two, three, and sometimes a bottle. What I've done starting in 2021 
is use Organifi. This is what I have in lieu of wine. And I sit there just like I used to sit with my wine and I have the Organifi Gold. I also use the green and red juice powders. I have never liked greens and reds juices, period. These powders to me always tasted like swamp water. I use one scoop of the greens, one scoop of the reds first thing in the morning before my coffee. It has become a, a ritual over the last several years. It is fantastic. Those are the ones I use the most. Of course, they have a great line of protein products and they have a new Organifi Gold Chocolate, which I have not tried yet, but I cannot wait to try that because you all know I love cocoa powder and use it for lots of different things, for cravings and everything else. Check out Organifi, Organifi.com. Use the code next level. Please take care of Organifi the same way they're taking care of the earth, doing amazing things as a company, and now taking care of the Next Level Human podcast so we can all be together and have these discussions. Organifi.com, use the code next level. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. So Paleo Woman definitely did not have all the modern tech and antibiotics and, and vaccines and all of that kind of stuff. But what she did have was she was being primed by the natural environment and did not suffer and would not suffer from chronic diseases in the same way modern women do. And so this is important for us to look at them. So what would it be like to look at a modern day hunter-gatherer woman? Now we have two tribes that we'll use today, the Hadza women and the Shimani women. These are, the Shimani I believe are from South America, hunter-gatherer tribe there. And the, the uh, Hadza is, is in um, Africa, I believe. And so these two, we'll just use these two because I'm more familiar with these two. What we see is a very robust group of people who hunt and gather pretty much all day. Women are constantly working. They are one of the one of the things they do, which is uh, they use sticks, these very strong sort of sticks and dig into the ground. One of the major things they do is they are constantly pounding up the ground looking for tubers and roots. So this idea that paleo man did not eat starch is absolutely not true. Uh, in fact, um, they absolutely do and honey and even simple sugars and, and actually these sugars and these tubers are prized yes they eat meat too but if you look at this stuff there's not it's you would be hard pressed to find a hunter-gatherer tribe that does not use some type of starch now what they don't use is modern day breads and things like that they're not eating processed breads and cornflakes and stuff like that and they're working very hard to get these foodstuffs but they certainly do eat starch many of them do not eat dairy. So if you want to say, okay, well, you know, they're not, what don't they have then? Well, not bread and not dairy. Well, most of these hunter-gatherer tribes are eating starch. Like, you know, the equivalent of a sweet potato, potato, turnips, rutabagas, things like this. They were definitely eating that stuff. That is for sure. And of course they're eating animals, but the animals were very lean. And honestly, if you're confused about this, just go look at the data or talk to a hunter, a modern day hunter that goes out and kills deer in Minnesota somewhere. Most of these animals that you catch wild are extremely lean. And so they were not eating high fat diets, no matter what your favorite, you know, sort of guru says about this. If you, if you even talk to people in the United States to hunt for a living, they'll tell you that bear and deer and some of these animals that they hunt and kill only have high amounts of fat for a very narrow part of the, the season. And so these women were eating very low fat diets. Uh, adequate carbohydrate diets and good quality protein diets. 
This is what they were mainly eating, with the exception of some of the hunter-gatherer tribes up above the Arctic Circle. Which basically brings us to another sort of thing that we need to cover here with women. There is no such thing as one paleo-ancestral female diet. Depending on the tribe, depending on where you were, what we humans did is we exploited our resources. One of the reasons I am talking into this microphone right now to all of you is because we humans are notorious as animals for exploiting our environments. We are opportunists. We basically will eat whatever is available to us. And it's the ability to use many different types of food and tolerate them that helped us survive and thrive. And so these women are eating primarily starch that is low in fat, protein that is low in fat, and getting adequate fat. And they're also getting lots of good bacteria from the dirt and things like this because of the way they're they're eating their foods. And they are moving a ton. When you look at the daily energy expenditure of these ancestral women, they are moving a ton. They are hunter and gatherers. They are walking, though. They're not running. They're not doing marathons. And even the men are not engaging in long-duration, sustained, moderate-intensity exercise or high-intensity exercise. It's better described as lots and lots of very slow, steady, methodical walking, picking, gathering, this kind of stuff. And then every once in a while, punctuated sprints and things like that to kill food or avoid danger. They were basically, uh, based on all the data, looking at lots of different hunter-gatherer tribes, the data suggests that hunter-gatherer women are covering about uh, 12 miles to 20 miles a day, 12 miles on the low end, and 20 miles on the high end in sort of busy seasons, depending on the growing season. So they're moving a ton. But the other thing they're doing is they're also resting a ton. They're sitting around a lot. They're lying in the shade a lot, right? And so the, it's this very steady, slow, methodical movement. And then it's lots of rest, including long nights sleeping because they go to bed pretty much when the sun goes down after dinner and then they go to sleep. They also, many of them, eat pretty much one meal per day, normally at the end of the day. They do not eat a big, huge breakfast. They do not know about the research that says you should intermittent fast and have your your food first thing in the morning and skip dinner or vice versa. They simply did what was making sense for their environment. They would gather all day, hunt, and then they would eat most of their food at the end of the day, picking some things and things like that uh, throughout the day. But certainly this modern day construct of three meals per day or six meals per day or the modern day sort of intermittent fasting regime is not what they were doing. And of course, this would vary depending on the woman and where she was living. And she's also often, too, hauling gear, carrying babies, all of this kind of stuff. So this is a very, very active woman. Very active in low, slow, methodical stuff and a very relaxed woman. Lots of slow-moving stuff and lots of what? Being in this position where they are resting, lying around, hanging out, you know, uh, being in community, talking and things like that. 
This is looking very different than sort of the modern day thought of a woman that goes and runs and does CrossFit and then goes and does Orange Theory, then goes and does spin class, then has to sweat it out in, you know, Bikram yoga and all this kind of stuff. Right. And so the eat less, exercise more model, you probably heard me say this over and over again in this podcast, is not what these very healthy individuals who do not suffer from chronic disease and tend to stay effortlessly thin do. They do not eat less and exercise more. They actually eat less, exercise less, and move more. They E-L-E-L, eat less, exercise less. And remember, if you're new to this discussion, moving and exercise are counted as different now as we look at the research. We have eat, exercise-associated thermogenesis, and NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. NEAT is all about the activities of daily living and makes up about 15 to 20% of a woman's metabolic output, whereas exercise-associated thermogenesis only does 5%. And here's a really interesting study that I've covered before, but it's really important to understand because it tells you an awful lot about what we're doing, especially for women. This is a study on women doing marathon running training, essentially. And what the researchers did is they took a group of women, three different women, and they said, listen, we these were menopausal women, and they divided them into three different groups. And they told every group, we do not want you to change your diet at all. Do your best to stay on your existing diet. Don't do anything different with your diet. And what we want is one group to do 30 minutes of jogging, basically on a treadmill, five days per week. We want another group doing 45 minutes, and we want another group doing 60 minutes. So you had three groups, one doing 30 minutes five times per week, another 45 minutes five times per week, and another 60 minutes five times per week. And they followed these women over several months. Then they wanted to see how effective would all of this exercise, and that's a lot of exercise. How many of you run at the higher end of this an hour a day, five days per week, or even 30 minutes a day, five days per week? That's a very narrow range of the Western world, uh, partly because most people don't have the time to do it. The other thing is it's incredibly difficult to do. This is not a fun thing to do for most people. Now, what did the results say? Well, what the results said is that 25% of these women lost weight as a result of this. Just as the eat less, exercise more sort of model would suggest. But the shocking thing was the other 75% of the women. Well, 50% of the women lost no weight at all. All of this exercise and they did not lose a pound. And another 25% had the reverse effect of the women who lost weight. They actually gained weight as a result of this cardiovascular training. So think about that for a minute. 30, 45, or 60 minutes every day for five days a week, and only 25% of these women lost any weight, and it was a modest loss at best. But another 50% didn't lose any weight at all, and the 25% actually gained weight as a result of doing the exercise. They would have been better off doing nothing. And this illustrates a little bit of the first thing you need to understand about how metabolism works. And this is especially important when we start talking about how the female metabolism works. We think that that metabolism is additive. We think that if a woman is burning 1,500 calories at rest every day and goes for a 30-minute, 45-minute, or 60-minute jog and burns another 300 calories, we think she burned 1,800 calories. The truth is, metabolism doesn't work additively. It works in a constrained 
fashion, which means it will see this big push up in calorie use and it will institute what I call the metabolic governor effect. Not governor like the governor of a state, but governor like the government that's the governor that's put on it the school bus's engine to keep it from from going over 50 miles per hour. You guys know what a governor is? A governor is something you put on an engine to slow it down, to keep it from going too fast. And they oftentimes do this on school buses to keep them safe. So the metabolic governor effect is this constrained effect. A woman's metabolism says, uh-oh, we're, we're putting out a lot of energy in exercise. We better drastically dial it back. And so what it does is unconsciously decrease meat and it cuts back on the amount of you burn and eat. So if you're doing, you burn 500 calories, let's say doing 60 minutes of jogging, you think you're burning that 500 calories based on calorie predictions, but you're really only burning, let's say, I don't know, 400 calories. And so the metabolism does everything it can to stop you from using all that energy. Not only that, but in many people, not all because it's individualized, but in many people, you have, at least in 25%, you have excessive hunger and cravings that lead to a palatable, hyper-palatable craving for food, a hedonistic heating, eating response, and more calories taken in than you would have otherwise. In other words, speed up metabolism and you speed up hunger too. And many women will gain weight. So think about that a minute. Now, in modern day times, this is a disaster. But if you think about the paleo woman, this is absolute, actually what saved her life and why we're, all, why we're all talking right now. Because doesn't it make sense in a paleo woman who is putting out a lot of activity and potentially not taking in any food that the body goes, I'm using a ton of energy. I want to make sure that I don't use up so much energy that I can't recoup because I know that food is not available everywhere out there. And there might be a shortage because the reality for a paleo woman was always perhaps there would not be enough food. It has only been in the last hundred years or so that we have had an abundance of food everywhere. The metabolism simply is not evolved for food, food, food everywhere. It's evolved for hundreds of thousands of years where food was extremely scarce. So doesn't it make sense that when you're overdoing exercise in this way, that the body would constrain metabolic output and increase hunger? It would increase motivation for food. And it would also say, hey, I'm going to protect you so you don't use up too much energy. This is the first thing to understand about women. Now, you might say, well, Jade, isn't this true of men too? Yes, it is, except for one thing. Women are the gender of childbearing and child rearing, which means that they are not just trying to survive their, themselves and spread their seed, but they, they need to survive and then bring up a baby, right? And so because of this, their metabolism is perhaps, and there's much research to suggest this, and we're going to go through it and is also talked about in the metabolic female certification, perhaps much more refined, sensitive, and sophisticated compared to a man. And we know this, right? A man has testosterone. When they hit puberty, it pretty much goes up to somewhere between 300 to 1,000 on, uh, you know, nanograms per milliliter, and it stays there. Women have estrogen and progesterone, one hormone that 
helps you build up estrogen and one hormone that helps you refine progesterone. And so where men have one dominant reproductive hormone, women have two. And where men have one static dose of this hormone throughout the month, women have fluctuating, cyclical, changing of these hormones throughout the month. And whereas men have this static hormonal dose throughout every stage of their life, except for andropause, where testosterone falls off, women go through multiple stages for hormones. Puberty, pregnancies, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. So where men have puberty and andropause, two sort of states of uh, hormonal uh, balance, women have five, at least five. And of course, both men and women can have their hormones changed based on stresses. But you see how this makes sense based on the fact that women have got to have a little bit more sensitive and refined hormonal system so that they can receive sperm, fertilize eggs, implant that egg, give that egg a nutrition, grow that egg into a fetus for nine months, giving it all its resources, give birth to that baby, and then continue to support that baby with her calories via breast milk and things like that for months to come. This is the reality of the female metabolism, which is incredibly different. Just think about what I just went through. That is incredibly different than men. <laughs> and sorry about my tone there. It's just that it is crazy to me to think about the, the fact that we are still not appreciating these profound differences that women have compared to men. Now, in the next episode, I am going to go through the menstrual cycle and all of that kind of stuff. And I've already done that in this podcast. So if you can't wait, go back to, I think, episode two or three of this podcast, and it'll talk about uh, you know using the menstrual cycle to train. But we're going to talk about it from sort of that perspective. Now, this is hugely important. So now you have an understanding of why the female metabolism is the way it potentially is, historically speaking. And you also can see how profoundly different it is just from an objective point of view without getting into any of the details compared to a man. The metabolism is an extremely sensitive system and it is more sensitive and refined in women because of the biological role that they play in the survival of our species. Now, before I end this podcast, I do want to cover one more thing. I just covered it, but I'm almost positive you missed it because its ramifications in terms of understanding metabolism will, will literally blow your mind. In fact, when I tell you this, you're going to just not get it. And you're going to say, Jade, this can't be true. So when we look at the Hadza and the Shamani tribes, and we compare the energy output, the daily energy expenditure that they put out, these women, compared to women in the Netherlands, the United States, you know, Western women. The differences are profound. Uh, these women are putting out a ton more energy. So you would think, well, hey, that must be the reason why they're so thin. Well, uh, Herman Ponzer, a PhD out of Duke University and his team, have been looking at the question. And they asked this question just to kind of quantify it. And what they discovered is everything we know about metabolism is wrong. What they asked is they said, let's go and see this crazy energy output 
First, let's measure it and just we want to see how much these hunter gatherers are doing. How much more are they doing than modern uh, men and women? And, and it is, is it even possible for modern men and women to do this? And then secondly, they wanted to say, let's go and look at how high their metabolic rate is compared to the average uh, you know, Westerner, because it must be super high, uh, you know, given all this activity and all this kind of stuff. And so what they showed when they looked at this is the data came back and they said, yes, indeed, these paleo women, these hunter-gatherer women are indeed burning tons more calories than Western women, Western modern women. But then they saw data that literally blew their minds. And when they went down the list, they said, but wait, there is literally no difference whatsoever, none between resting energy expenditure of hunter-gatherer women and men, for that matter, and Western men and women. So you might say, what? Say that again, Jade. <laughs> I will. The daily energy expenditure, the amount of energy these women were using to do their activity greatly exceeded the amount of activity that women in the Western world were doing. But then when they went and looked at total daily energy expenditure, expecting it to be additive, expecting it to be like, okay, well, these women weigh this much, and so their resting metabolic rate is this, add on the thousand calories burned, it should be this, what they saw shocked them. What they saw is the total daily energy expenditure of these hunter-gatherer women and Western women was not much different. In other words, the Shimani and the Hadza and the other hunter-gatherer tribes that they looked at were in a position where all this energy they were using, the metabolism was constraining any other energy use. In other words, NEAT went down. Fidgeting at sleep went down. The amount of energy they burned uh, was not what it would be completely predicted. And so this idea that all this activity was speeding up the metabolism was wrong. In fact, all this activity was slowing down other aspects of the metabolism. So maybe eat and neat were super high, but then resting energy expenditure became much, much reduced so that total daily energy expenditure was not changed much for a woman of a particular weight compared to a Western woman. Now, this data is in the presentation for the Metabolic Female Professional Certification. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about here. Or you can just search Herman Ponzer Research and read all about it. It's shocking. But I just told you the reason why. Because metabolism is not additive, or it is not additive, it is constrained. And so part of this certification is going to teach you this new reality of metabolism, something almost nobody knows except the elite researchers, me and you soon. And I'm going to give you the female version of this and teach you how to work around it. Now, the fact of the matter is it's still extremely hard. What you're going to learn is that it is very difficult and we do not know everything there is to know. But we know an awful lot now that the rest of the world of health and fitness is ignorant and blind to. And we're going to talk about it over the next several podcasts and in the Metabolic Female Professional Certification. I'm going to end right here. We'll begin again next week with part two of this series. I hope this was interesting to you and piqued your interest. And 
for those of you who just can't wait, because I know there's been many people, many people in my DMs, many people to my support staff saying, when is the metabolic female professional certification coming? When is it coming? Please tell me when it's coming. You can go to the bit.ly link, uh, drjade.com slash female cert to uh, take a look at the female uh, certification. You also could go to, if you want the full presentation or you can't find it at that link, go to drjade.com female professional course. drjade.com female professional course. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. And I will see you at the next episode.